0: do not expect Peter asked Lord are you telling this parable to us what no. in that time for that servant whom the master doing so when truly the poster is taking a long time in coming and he over bring. the master will come on a day when he does not expect him and what to be and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The one who knows the master's will does not lose. But the one who does not know and does think will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, trusted with much, much more will be. I have fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already killed. But I haven't to go. It do you think I came to bring peace on Earth? No. From now on, there will be five in one family Hit each other. Three against two against three. They will be divisive of our daughter's mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law will west <laughs> immediately to us. R- and when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. So, well, how do you know how to interpret this present? Watch will you Go Itversary to the magistrate. Try hard to be reconciled. You often be to the you. You will cost a penny..
1: Those who were here last week were introduced to a story that Jesus starts back in verse 35 of Luke 12. The story is set in preparation for a wedding feast. And we found out last week, and so I'll remind some of us, that during the time between the sealing of the covenant and the consummation of the wedding, there was much work to be done in the midst. The bride was watching and making herself ready, the groom was preparing an abode for the couple. And the servants of the families were busy compiling the guest list and the food. Knowing that a deadline is approaching, last week we saw the need to watch. We saw the need to be ready because it could happen at any time. But this week we move from watching to working. Now, we don't labor to get invited to the wedding, but we strive to please the master to whom we belong. In verse 41 of Luke chapter 12 that was read for us a moment ago, it presents for us an outline of the next 19 verses that we will cover in the next 40 or so minutes. See, verse 41 presents this outline because in the first, because Peter asked a question Jesus, are you talking to us or to everyone? And the first eight verses are for us. And then the next 11 verses are for all. So if you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, this first part is especially for you. And I assume you will want to listen with extra attention. Because verses 42 through 48 of the chapter in front of us, Jesus is giving his words for the kingdom workers. There is much work to be done before Jesus comes back for his bride. As a matter of fact, because we are doing work, Some work well, and some work poorly. I see in verses 42 through 44 that Jesus promotes those who do well. Those who work with wisdom and with faithfulness. Notice in front of me that we look at a servant who managed the other servants. The one who manages the others was a steward or a manager. As we look at one who was a servant placed over other servants, some of us automatically begin to think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. A slave in Potiphar's house, but he was elevated because he did well. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who could be trusted. Not only do we see in the verse in front of us that he was a wise manager whom the master will set over his household, but also notice the scripture in front of us tells us that he was a manager who gave appropriate amounts of food at the appropriate amounts of time. I believe that this just automatically draws the mind of his Jewish audience to Genesis chapter 39. I believe this is an allusion to Joseph in verses 4 and 5 of that chapter. There's a similar story that Jesus told elsewhere. And in the similar story, Jesus actually focuses in on the results. A person who had five talents, and because they invested it, they got five more. A person who only had one, and he did not treat it well, and so he returned only one. And in that other story, we'll look at the results. But that's not the point of this story. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us this story, not to focus on the results, but to focus upon the faithfulness. This story is relentless at calling us to be faithful. The wisdom and the faithfulness of verse 42 is rewarded as a promotion and responsibility in verse 44. Verse 43, though, speaks of the pleasure or the blessing that belongs to the person who obeys God. You've heard preachers tell you to do the right thing. And you wonder, yeah, I know, I I, I ought to do the right thing. But I'm here to tell you today because the Word of God says that there is blessing. When we do the things that please God. There is a blessing to the one who acts wisely and faithfully to do what our master has asked of us. So I have to ask you this morning. How do you treat the gospel that you have received? Do you use your understanding of the scriptures as a club? To beat others into conformity? Because I do know some believers, some followers of Jesus Christ, who know just enough of the word of God to use it as a club to beat others. You know you ought to do this. You know you ought to do that. Why don't you ever do this? Some people are like the unjust steward. Using the gospel, the good news that we have received, as a club to say, Well, why can't you be like this? Don't you know that God hates XYZ? I've seen too many immature believers who use their inadequate knowledge of the scriptures just to heap guilt upon others. In contrast, though, the faithful steward. This faithful steward of the riches that we have received leverages the beauty of the gospel to further God's purposes until Jesus comes again. Do you use the truth as a weapon or as a precious jewel to offer to others? You know, we we look at this story in front of us Of a master who had servants, and he placed one servant above the rest of his servants. So I have to say, contrary to Western thought, the problem with the manager who gets punished is not in the having of servants, because he would have been a servant himself who was leading the other servants. Verse 45, though, does not describe the problem of having servants or employees or slaves. The problem is in mistreating of others. Because we see in verses 45 and 46 and a little bit later in verse 48 that there is punishment for the sins that we commit. And those who commit this act of disobedience fall into two categories. The first category is those who knew better. Those of us who have read the Word of God, have studied the Word of God, have heard the Word of God, and we know what we should be doing in our world. Verse 45 pictures a servant who, instead of doing what we should be doing, becomes more concerned with his personal wants and with his personal appetites than with the master's affairs. I'm sure none of us ever have that problem. None of us ever put ourselves before God's desires, do we? Craig Keener writes in one uh, commentary of this unjust student, or unjust steward, he writes that drunkenness was despised, especially when slaves became drunk at the master's expense. A slave who abused the other slaves was viewed as mistreating his master's property. And when we misuse the riches of creation for ourselves rather than for God's purposes, we have become idolaters. We have worshipped the created rather than the creator. And when we put the created as more important than creator, then that is is what moves us into temptation. When we substitute our desires for God's will, we fall into the sin of idolatry in one of its many forms. After all, it's just a weekend at the lake... It's just an athletic competition. It's just a nicer house. It's just a nicer car. It's just a promotion at work that may take me away from my family. And none of these things are evil in themselves. But when these things become more important than living out our calling, they become idols to us. When I want the perceived pleasure of this thing... More than what I know to be the truth of Scripture, I fall into the sin of idolatry. This speaks to the moment on the lips, forgetting the lifetime on the hips. These times when we want the pleasure that is in front of us without considering the consequence. And we actually read of a quite severe punishment to the master who mistreats other, to the um, manager who mistreats others because he decides to spend it on himself rather than to seek the master's purpose. Daryl Bach writes, "This dismembered servant then describes someone who is associated with the church." who, get this, his attitude shows no faith and no relationship to the master in any positive sense. See, some people have looked at this manager who mistreats the others, and they've asked, well, was he saved and he loses his salvation when he gets dismembered and treated with the others? Was he not saved and he received blessings and then lost those blessings. That's a a, a, it's a salvation of works. I believe Bach is correct in saying this person is someone who's associated with religion. They're associated with the church, but they have no personal faith. They have no personal relationship to the master. He does not lose what he has. He shows he never had a proper relationship to begin with. This man's very attitude towards the master reflects a disregard that can hardly be equated with trust. His punishment is his ultimate exclusion from the community, which is the same thing that happens to the unbelievers. See, these are people who should have known better. We've heard the truth, we know the truth, but some decide to seek their own pleasure rather than our Father's will. And then verse 48 goes and he says that there are, there's actually a second group of people who disobey the Father, but they disobey without knowing that they are disobeying. I wonder, how many times have you heard of someone who gets a medical diagnosis and says, I had no idea I had that condition. A few years ago, I got a CT scan of my brain to rule out some possible causes of some symptoms that I was experiencing. And I found that I have a cyst on the top of my brain about the size of a quarter. And Ann says, that explains a lot but the doctor said that i most likely had this cyst on the top of my head for decades but didn't even know it was there now fortunately in my situation my unknown condition had little influence on my daily life on the other hand I've seen stories of women who gave birth and claimed they had no indication that they were even pregnant. find that hard to believe, but they say that's what happens. When I was finally diagnosed as diabetic, I then found out that insatiable thirst is a symptom of diabetes. Now... I knew that I drank a lot of water and iced tea, but I had no idea that it was because my blood sugar was way out of bounds. I had a condition, even though I didn't know I had the condition. And the fact that I didn't know I had the condition did not change the reality that the condition existed. And I think the first part of verse 48 says that there are people who disobey God even though they don't know they're disobeying God. People claim that it is somehow unjust for God to hold people who never heard the name of Jesus guilty for their sin. But I believe this verse gives a hint that people can be guilty before God even if they don't realize it. And the scripture says that they will pay a penalty for that guilt, for the sins that they commit, even if they don't realize that they are sins. So we see promotion for those who do well. We've seen punishment for those who commit sins. But I also see in verse 47 a punishment for those who simply fail to do the things that we know that we ought to do. One of the favorite verses of my mother, in King James, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is, yeah, you know my mom, that there are things that we actually commit sins by omitting to do the things that we know we should be doing. I think that's the story that we have here in verse 47. It specifies that the punishment is quite severe for the woulda, coulda, shouldas. We're all aware of the times that if I find myself in that situation again, I would have... We know those times at the end of the day when we account I could have... And regrets line the halls of our memories with the times that I should have our woulda, coulda, shouldas. And verse 47 says that there's, there's a penalty for being lazy and not doing what we know we should do. Now, I don't want to get too literal with this beating and and how the beating takes place. Because I do believe that God's grace covers all sin, past, present, and future, for those who are in Christ. But there's also a sense, based on 1 Corinthians 3.15, that a person can be saved, yet endure loss a beating, a loss, a punishment. When we omit to do the things that we know we should be doing. And then the rest of verse 48 states a principle of accountability. For whatever you have received, Jesus then turns his attention to the larger crowd that was gathered. So after he's given these warnings to us, do you feel like your toes have been stomped upon? Hopefully you've been enticed with the blessing of doing well so that we would avoid both the sins of commission and omission. But rather than stomp on the other set of toes, let's move forward where Jesus then gives warnings for the watching world. For he says, not only those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, But Jesus also gives a warning to those who are nearby and those who are listening. He tells them that we live in a binary world. Now, binary is a scientific term, which simply means there's one of two options. Either you're on or you're off. Computer code is a set of ones and zeros. There's no other numbers in the equation Two options to choose, you're in or you're out, you're on or you're off. And Jesus says that he came in such a way that causes division. Either you're in Christ or you're not. You're part of his kingdom or not. Verse 49 says that his message does include judgment. He says there's coming a fire of judgment that will fall for those who are outside of the kingdom. Verse 50, he says, for those who are in Christ, yet they see the world around us, sometimes there's a suffering that has to happen. And Jesus identifies this suffering that he is about to go through. He says, this suffering is so intense, it's going to totally envelop me as cloth being dipped into a dye. Or translated for us, the word, baptism. Baptism is simply the Greek word that means to dip. Jesus says, I'm going to be totally consumed with the suffering that I am about to endure. Way back in Micah chapter 7, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we have a it prophesies a time when families would be divided. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is unashamed to be identified with a message that causes division, even within the families. Jesus says, There will be those who choose to follow me and those who do not. And those who choose to follow me will be at odds with those who don't. It will cause division between brother and sister, in laws and outlaws. And I know families in our very congregation who can identify with this division. Some of us live in homes where a spouse or a sibling or a child does not agree with our commitments to the Lordship of Christ. They live by a different set of values than we live. And Jesus says it causes division. In those settings. And we do ourselves no favor by acting as if the division does not exist. Sometimes there is black and white, and we mess it up by making it a fuzzy, gray world. In verses 54 through 56, Jesus says, Not only do we live in a world where either you're in or you're out, but Jesus says that there are signs that are all around us that we need to pay attention to. Now, the the clouds to the west and the heat from the south may not make much sense to us as it would to Jesus' audience as they were listening to him. Because as they were in the land of Judea, if they looked to the west, what they saw was the Mediterranean Sea. And as clouds would form over that great body of water... Clouds that form over water have lots of moisture. So Jesus says, when you look west and you see clouds, it's only natural that we would think there's moisture in those clouds. Now, to the south of Judea was nothing but desert. What happens when the wind comes up from the desert? It's going to be hot. So you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. It doesn't take exceptional talent to figure out what Jesus is saying. He says, even with the minimum amount of awareness, we know that that's wet and that's hot. Yet, you hypocrites, you're so aware at watching the weather, but you're denying the very opportunity that stands right in front of you. Jesus was saying, the Messiah is right in front of you if you would surrender to him. And people were so distracted by the rain and by the hot that they didn't even see the opportunity that was in front of us. And the signs are all around us today as well. It doesn't take exceptional intelligence to see what God is doing in the world around us. In the Fellowship Hall Sunday School class, we're taking eight weeks to consider the world that is around us. And are there indications that we may be setting up for a time of God's judgment? He said that he came with fire in his message. And for those of us who believe that the rapture of the church precedes the great tribulation, these signs that the world is headed in that direction encourage all of us to be more faithful in our witness. I don't see the end times and say, woo We're out of here! I see the end times and I'm saying, We have a message to tell because I want others to go with me. As we look at the signs that are all around us, it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's happening. And anyone with the modicum of intelligence can say, it's time that we tell the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are around us, so that they too can go. See, the present time, the time that they seem to pay no attention to, was a time of Repentance. But rather than repent, as Jesus was calling them, they chose to stick their heads in the ground and act as if it wasn't there. And so to that world, verses 57 through 59, Jesus says, you've got to be aware of what's coming. He says, we live in a world where either you're in or you're out. And there are signs all around us that things are moving in this direction. And if things are moving in this direction, you need to be aware of what's coming. And and Jesus basically gives a story. He says, if you are on your way to be judged, wouldn't it be better for you to find a way to avoid the full measurement of justice? In other words... He is offering to the world a way to avoid the full judgment of our sins. If we accept his offer to settle our sin guilt now by transferring our guilt to the cross, if we would only turn to him in repentance and faith to take his offer to settle our sin debt, we can avoid the penalty of paying in eternity until the very last penny is paid. See, this is not a lesson about how we do business with one another and how we find compromise. This is an invitation to trust the gospel. Jesus says there's going to be a judgment, and after the judgment there's a consequence that needs to be paid. However, I offer to you a chance to settle your account. Turn to Christ in repentance and in faith and have your sin guilt dealt with so that you can avoid paying to the very last penny. See, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And verses 58 through 59 is an offer for you to receive His offer of salvation so that you don't have to pay for your sin into eternity. good news, my friends. That's good news for all. So how do we reflect upon this? How does this change us when we walk out through those doors in a few moments? I think the first thing we need to realize is that the only reasonable response for a watchful worker is obedience. If you have received the blessings of the gospel, the only wise and faithful thing for us to do is obey what Jesus asked of us. Not to omit the things that we know that are right, not to commit the things that we know that we are wrong, but to obey. And the first requirement to become a watchful worker... Is to enter by faith. And Jesus says, I'm offering you a settlement offer. It's right here for you to receive by faith. In a moment, we're going to sing two verses of a very familiar hymn for those who have been around the church. And you may notice that the graphic for our final song includes a soldier at attention. And while tomorrow is a day when we honor the soldiers who have fallen, today is a day where we must choose. Am I going to enlist in His command? And if I enlist in His command by faith and repentance, will I choose to obey His orders and do what He asks of me? Stand with me as we sing